0: put me on this part of the program because at this time of the evening, I know how nervous it makes the president for me to be up here, but I can probably do no real damage after, after uh, at this hour of the day. Uh, so we've had a great day here looking at what the Nicholas Institute can do, uh, how it can interact with the Nicholas School. It adds to a long list of firsts at Duke University, the first School of the Environment, Professional Graduate School of the Environment in the country generous gift of, of Pete and Jenny back in the early 90s that made it the Nicholas School, uh, and now the further generous gift that has created the Nicholas Institute of Environmental Policy Solutions, a chance for this institution to be the first institution in, that I know of in this country to have a direct arm, a direct organization to translate the good scholarship of its faculty members uh, to effective policy, effective environmental preservation in this country. So all kinds of first. I also had it's the first time I've ever been at least partially responsible for martinis with melons in them, but uh, (laughs) we'll we'll overlook that. Uh, Now, the other thing I have to say tonight is that if you are here tonight, because my job was to introduce Tim Perfetta, and you don't know who Tim Profeta is at this point, you have only two excuses. Either you shamelessly slept through the sessions today, or even more shamelessly showed up here for a night of a environmentally sensitive dinner without having gone to the sessions at all. Uh, So, Tim really needs no introduction here. Uh, Showed up, I first ran into him in biogeochemistry a number of years ago, uh, realized that this was an exceptionally bright student out in the classroom, uh, ran into him at the Cummings uh, Law Fellow uh, program uh, where he was one of the keynote speakers a, a few months later, uh, and as you've seen, uh, has had a brilliant career uh, and on Capitol Hill with Senator Lieberman and an individual who we are proud of as both a law school and Nicholas School graduate and with every expectation of where he will go and where he will lead us in the Nicholas Institute in the years to come. And I think it's fitting that to close this evening, we turn the podium over to Tim uh, to give us his vision of where and what the Nicholas Institute can do. Tim, welcome.
1: Oh, so I get clovers. I don't see any four leaf clovers. I will. Um, wow, what a day uh, this has been, and uh, thank you. And I promise you, I, I am the last speaker, so if you'll bear with me here, we'll uh, we will be done for the day. It's been a full and exciting but, but exhausting day. I want to thank you all for being here tonight and for your commitment to the Nicholas Institute and in what will be its crucial and exciting first years. And before I begin to speak tonight, I want to take a moment to thank some people who need to be thanked. I want to thank the staff, The students, the faculty, who have been led by really the inexhaustible Nancy Kelly and Sally Webb, for their efforts to make this summit work. There was a lot of sweat equity invested in this, and I think it's paid off, and I thank them for it. Now, as we sit here tonight and we bring this institute to life, and having heard what we heard today, I think we must acknowledge that we live in a time of both great peril and great promise for our environment. It's a time of great peril because as human development has advanced, the challenges challenges we faced are more profound and pernicious. But it's a time of great promise because we have a greater understanding of our environment than ever before. We have better technology than ever before and more power to shape our own fate than ever before. I think unlike 20, 30 years ago, more and more Americans are coming to understand the environment is not something we can compartmentalize. It's not something we can enjoy like a museum or a movie and then walk away from. It's not something we can simply revere and then walk away from. And it's not something we can use without consequence. So we've heard here today, I think, the environment is the world we live in and is the choices we make. Every day, I seem to be learning a new lesson from the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina and its aftermath. One lesson I've learned, we probably all have learned, is that the decisions we make have consequences. Some intended, some unintended. And I don't just mean the decisions that are made in the heat of crisis. I mean the decisions are made all along the way. Decisions like, do we strengthen this levy? Do we move away from oil dependence at a snail's pace or with all deliberate speed? And we cannot draw a clear line between what we think of as the environment and as what we think of as the rest of our existence. In truth, environmental choices are economic choices. They are ethical choices. They are human choices. And as we sit here tonight, these choices simply could not matter more. They're not just about whether we live in comfort or plenty, whether we will have to pay more for gasoline, whether our parks will thrive, even whether a handful of species are driven to extinction. And I'm not belittling these concerns, they're very important. But what's at stake here today is not just how we live. As Jared Diamond eloquently reminded us today, it's a question of whether or not our human civilization will continue to thrive. There are fundamental and intractable challenges facing us as humans continue to populate the earth. I know my father was depressed in the energy uh, panel because it seemed quite daunting. But we will suffer greatly if we do not face up to these. Climate change threatens our ecosystems and could well wreak havoc on the world we know. Toxins we cannot see may be connected to diseases. Clean water that Is becoming ever more scarce, exacerbating regional tensions. And our over reliance on oil destabilizes our economy, quickens global warming, and distorts our foreign policy. Each of these questions requires us to choose, and these choices must be made in an intelligent and enlightened way, not an ideological way. But then we have to question we have the question, we have to ask: how do we expect the American people to make intelligent choices? in the current climate. Join me and le- just, let's just think a second about the political environment in which our environmental decisions are made are frankly more often postponed these days. A problem is identified in political terminology. A solution is devised in a political context. Then a solution is implemented and the results are politically interpreted. We're very, very lucky if we agree on the problem to begin with. We're even luckier if we agree on the problem and the solution. If we agree on the problem, the solution, the actual implementation, we might want to double-check our climate models and make sure the Sahara isn't freezing over. And if, to the American people, it all sounds like some elaborate game of rock, paper, scissors, to which interest groups fight to trump each other in the battle of the day, well, it's hard to blame them. They don't know who to trust. They don't know whose facts to believe. And so they turned down the volume on the entire convoluted conversation. That is why today I applaud the visionary leadership of Pete Nicholas, Jane Nicholas, Dick Broadhead, Peter Lang, and Bill Schlesinger. They understood the need to take this knowledge base, this integrity, the credibility of this institution, and put it at the service of society. As a result, the Nicholas Institute is not going to just be another player in the game. Rather, it's going to be an organization committed to do something fundamentally different to changing the game. Right now, we breathe air in Washington that's thick with the smog of politics and ideology. The Nicholas Institute is not going to emit any more of that pollution. It's going to tackle the challenges facing our oceans, our habitats, our energy, our health, our water supplies, with a clarity and candor and credibility, our scholars and researchers will offer real information, real independence, and real integrity. We'll earn our clout by putting out unimpeachable research and good ideas, not by trying to scream the loudest. Now, the most important word in our names Excuse me. The most important word in our name, well, is Nicholas. But the second one is solutions. (laughs) We're not here to talk about problems. We're here to solve them. We'll be nimble and we'll be responsive to the public debate. At the same time, we'll be proactive. We'll take the long view, set our agenda based on what our experts say matters to the environment and sticking to that. In short, the Nicholas Institute's mission is to become the nation's leading source of effective solutions to our critical environmental problems by providing policymakers in the public and private sectors with unbiased evaluations of policy risks and rewards and innovative practical ideas for meeting the complex challenges. I think you can get a sense of where we're headed by looking at a few other things we've already done. In July, we convened five editors-in-chiefs, two Pulitzer Prize winners in a conference to work on journalistic norms for covering difficult to communicate environmental stories like global warming. With the Aspen Institute, we released a report on the world's water supply and have on the table consensus recommendations for the World Water Forum in March 2006 in Mexico City. Last week, as you've heard and know, we announced the formation of the Climate Change Policy Partnership with Duke Energy, a new industry university collaboration that will develop policies to address the problems of global climate change. And next month, we're hosting a conference intended to advise Congress on the ways to reform the governance of our oceans. This all adds up to a bold but unattainable long-term ambition And I must say, I cannot imagine a faculty better equipped to enlighten people, the press, and policymakers, and enliven conversations about our environmental future than that of our accomplished faculty and staff of Duke. Thinking about it, I don't know of any institution that strikes you at once as so old, but yet so young, as so esteemed and respected, but so vibrant, as so established, but really as so willing to take real risks. We have a faculty known the world over for the rigor of its research, for its creativity, for its fairness, for its fortitude. We've this tru- we have earned the trust of this community and this country, and the Nicholas Institute will honor that hard-earned reputation every day. Finally, I need to tell you personally How honored, really honored I am to lead this institute and to have the confidence that I've heard here tonight of Duke's leadership in all of you. To me, this is like a coach, and this is quite appropriate where we are sitting. This is like a coach coming to a team that's overflowing with talent. And if Coach K is gonna step down, you can let me know. Uh, And I'm eager to get to work with this talent. We are gonna make a difference. We're going to make a big difference. We're going to help build a country and a world that's cleaner, healthier, safer, and more responsible. Now, when I wrote that sentence, I thought myself, some of you may think I'm saying that we at the Nicholas Institute are going to change the world. It's not exactly right. What I'm saying is that the world is going to inevitably change. It's shifting already, right now, beneath our feet. What we need to do is to make sure that we change along with it. We need to make sure we are fit to survive, to thrive, and lead the world's environment for generations to come. And the Nicholas Institute will do everything in its power to ensure that the nation and the world make smart choices as the world changes. And in doing so, I hope we make clear to all of you That you have made a smart choice by coming here today, and offering such vital early support for our work. Now I'm going to close by quoting a Republican, by a president. I don't think it matters which party it was, but this president was a Republican. I want to quote Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln famously said, "I like to see a man proud of the place in which he lives. I like I like to see a man live." so his place will be proud of him. We will live and work so that not only this great academic institution is proud of us, through this institute we will live and work so that the earth on which we are blessed to live and stand is proud of us and can someday be just as proud of our children and their children and their children. Thank you very much for coming tonight.